there are some specific kind of persons or a specific kind of role which is usually ignored in data projects and especially in tracking projects. And these are developers. It's quite shocking how rarely they play an important role in these initial data projects. It's, of course, they have an important role. Basically, um, they have to implement all the tracking events. They have to implement all the ideas that some other teams came up with. And but the problem is like, this is often a relationship of, let's say a product or a marketing team defining what they want to have and just throwing it over the fence and telling the developers, yeah, please implement this for us. And uh, yeah, these are all important for us. <laughs> Take these 100 events and please implement them because we all need them for things. And I can already tell you this is usually an approach that doesn't really work out well in the past. And that was really interesting when I was talking to James from Posttalk and I was asking him, what is your target audience? He immediately answered um, developers. We are a developer-first analytics product. And it's quite interesting because, of course, like they, they call themselves a product OS, uh, not even product analytics, but of course, like they are a product analytics tool. But they are not targeting product teams. They are targeting the developers, um, the persons who are basically building the product. And it's super interesting because you can see it in all the different kind of corners of the product that they are. So based on the features that they have, there are a lot of things you definitely feel that there was a developer-first mindset into it. And I think it's an interesting trend because, like as I said, in the past, developers were just the execution part of like the implementation of tracking, but were never really involved in the whole process, how it should be developed and so on, which I think is a big mistake because in the end, first of all, product and developer are basically one unit. So it's not really something that you should tear apart, even when it is often teared apart. And developers are the ones who know exactly how a product works. They know exactly where it is the best place to maybe get some insights from. And usually they have often really good ideas what kind of event could be important to make the product better and to take this approach and say okay we put this tool into the hands of developers like postdoc is doing this is a super interesting thing that i want to play out see play out more and more in the future because i think this could be one of the ingredients that we need to get more data into product decisions and postdoc has a lot of features that are really like interesting for this so they have feature flagging built in really early and you can already use it um, they have of course like the whole experimentation topic they have some kind of auto tracking that can make it easy to maybe put a lens on some kind of behavior in a specific area to get a first understanding and then define proper, really solid, uh, explicit events. And so that you see a lot of things uh, within Postdoc that makes them very developer-friendly. Besides that they are an open source project, so a developer could go into, uh, into the source code and just could figure out how specific kind of things work, like, for example, the tracker, which sometimes can be really important for developers. And another thing which I really love about Postdoc, when we talk a little bit as well, is like that you have 
an ability to extend how Postdoc works. So you can write your own apps and can define how data comes into Postdoc. So you can filter out or extend things before they land or how you pull data out of Postdoc and send it to other systems. So a lot of things that can make a really great setup if you have a strong developer data team. And so I hope you enjoy this kind of conversation. I enjoyed it a lot and I really enjoyed to learn more how different kind of decisions basically shaped uh, how Postdoc is working right now and how it will work in the future. The time when analytics was simply Google Analytics is over now. Today you can build your analytics stack out of over 50 different tools and new ones are coming in every month. Each of them has its benefits but also limitations. Finding the right analytics stack has become quite a complex task that includes decisions about architecture, use cases, data ownership, performance, and lastly, legal aspects. This podcast tries to give you more context about the different options you have. By talking to leading people from different analytics companies, I'm trying to give you insights about the tools, the strategies, and the learnings that can help you set up a good analytics stack. Welcome to a new episode of Meet the Analytics Stack. And today uh, we meet James, the founder and CEO of Postdoc. Hi, James. How are you? Hey, yeah, great. Thanks. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, um, I, I definitely had you pretty high on the list. I mean, not you personally, but definitely Postdoc, because uh, like when I'm reaching out, I'm always like surprised uh, who will uh, who will come up and uh, like and you were praised as the best person uh, to tell a lot of stories about product analytics, Postdoc, of course, and I mean about all the different things, uh, data that we love to talk about. So, but I, I would like to start with a. Maybe an, an awkward question, but I, I'm doing this question because like in the area where I work most of the time, like people who are not really super deep into data, for them, like data is something like Google Analytics. So this is like uh, how they how they started out with data. And so how would you compare Postdoc to something like Google Analytics? Sure. So um, I'll, I'll give you a quote on this topic. We did this startup accelerator called Y Combinator. Mm -hmm. And during that, they kind of tell you, if you're doing just Google Analytics to build a better product, you're doing it wrong. Um, and they're kind of what, what that means in practice is Google Analytics is extremely good if you're trying to understand like the marketing um, performance and so on. It's, um, I don't know they're changing this gradually, but it's been historically viewed as kind of web-based rather than event-based um, tracking. Um, Postography and our kind of architecture is based on events and users. That means that we are designed to help you understand exactly which features of your product are being used and which users or groups of users are using them. Um, nothing is anonymized by deep, like you can obviously run it anonymously, but most users will use that to track specific teams and specific users. So you can see how Joe Blogs is using a specific public platform much more easily. So it kind of get, lets you get, we're kind of like a level deeper. Um, in terms of how much you can actually understand. It's not abstracted. It's not downsampled. Um, so we just give you, a, it's just much easier to understand product usage rather than mm -hmm. um, kind of website marketing kind of performance, which we're weaker compared to GA. Yeah. 
I think that that totally makes sense. And um, this is also like how when people ask me so uh, to to compare GA to to the category of product analytics in general. Um, so like this is where I say it. I mean, if if you work in product, you definitely have more requirements uh, than in marketing. So marketing usually have three four events that are important for you, and then the kind of campaign. Yeah. Um, do you, do you know, for example, also like, I mean, but the interesting thing is like, and you see it a lot, like with other product analytics tools as well, is like, I mean, of course it's not bound to product. I mean, you can use this for every kind of use case. So do you also, do you, do you know, and do you saw like marketing and growth teams uh, also like using, using post-talk in, in which kind of way? Sure. So we start off by not caring about this particular set of use cases yeah. because we're just focused on kind of product teams, like engineers and product people, um, potentially data engineers too. Increasingly, though, as more and more companies are product-led, every team is starting to get driven by user behavior inside of their product. Um, and so, uh, yeah, at the moment, uh, it's only something like 20, only about 20% of the companies that use our platform track their kind of marketing website compared to their product. Which is shockingly low. Um, yeah. it, the advantage of yeah marketing team leveraging product analytics is you can understand where your best user, users are coming from. Uh, there's no point getting conversion if that user just stays on your free tier or they churn. Um, so you're missing out like a ton of the picture, especially if you're the kind of company that cares about its actual product and your end users. If you're not tracking like your first touch attribution all the way through to um, how users are like upselling or uh, retaining um, or referring other users into your platform. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I think this is also like something that I, I'm experiencing as well, like in the kind of project that I'm doing is like that, especially like growth and marketing teams in, let's say, B2B software as a service cases now start to understand like that it's it's not enough to drop them off at the free trial and then yep. uh, then basically give it to the product team and say, yeah, so your job. So because like, I mean, in the end, this is the whole idea about growth so that like marketing product and so on, like product like growth, of course, like that everything goes hand in hand um one thing that always like i mean when i discovered postdoc for the first time so i have a product background so of course like i have a little bit of uh how to say um i'm always on the lookout to 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 see tools that can improve um building better products and so i was quite amazed so i always experience this kind of market like, okay, you have something like Amplitude, you have something like Mixpanel, and so they're really, really, let's say, present in the market and then might have something like Key. But I was I was quite fascinated then something like Postdoc was appearing. And so, and what, what brought you to the point that you said, actually, we need a slightly different approach. And so to, to really like enter a market where let's say outsiders would say, yeah, maybe it's already saturated. I mean, which I think never yep. existed data. So there's always like a next level to it. But uh, so what What was like the the origin story? So what, or put it like this, what created enough frustration on your side to say, hey, actually we have to build something different? Well, like what were we thinking? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, basically we, um, so the background postdoc is that we pivoted five or six times. Um, mm -hmm. Tim, my co-founder and I, um, and we kept trying to build out, we kind of had this gigantic list of problems that we'd had in our professional lives. Um, and we were kind of working through the sheet, <laughs> and, you know, our yeah. basic hypothesis was, well, if it's a problem we've had, then if we ship a solution to that problem, it has a high chance of product market fit. Um, 
what wound up happening was every time we had to pivot for some reason or another, we had to re-implement product analytics to understand who was using our thing. And we got quite annoyed. Like if you, if you don't like doing one implementation, you should try doing like six. Um, and we just got so frustrated that the final idea that failed, we're like, hmm, maybe we should just go back and like fix product analytics and do that in a way that's built more for us. Um, the thing kind of from a differentiation perspective, we simply go after a different group of people. Um, yeah. We're targeting software engineers primarily um, for a couple of reasons. One is what comes first in a startup that's just been born, like a product person or an engineer. And the answer is most of the time an engineer. And we kind of felt really long run. If we just get in with engineering and we become a standard tool that developers recommend to each other, we don't really have any competition anymore. Uh, we, the key is then how do we stick with these customers? Um, and we kind of asked ourselves like, okay, what would we want? Like what's frustrating us? What do we want? Um, Developers are really sensitive to sending user data to third parties. Like for companies, it's like a nice to have thing, but for developers, it's really a big deal to not do this. Um, if you kind of look at the tools that are popular in like the developer world, like we read Hacker News, for example, things that land well there are things that are privacy focused. So I think developers are slightly leading the way in this sort of drive. Um, and there's been a top, bit of top-down pressure from GDPR, there's been a bunch of really interesting rulings actually around the use of Google Analytics um, in various European countries. Um, and so there's a little bit of pressure there, but yeah, so we were like, okay, we'll build something open source. That's also ideal for a developer. Our kind of concept yeah. today is we want a developer in any size organization on earth to be able to use our product without getting out from their desk. And things that cause you to get out from your desk are going, having to get budget from someone. Um, and having to like go convince an info security team that you should send all your data to this thing. Uh, and by being open source, you have to do either of those things usually. Um, we don't need access to our customers' data at all. They can host the whole lot inside their infrastructure or they can use our cloud version. Um, and you can start totally free. Um, we have a generous free tier on cloud. The open source product is free forever, no matter how much scale you have um, with no hard limits. And so, yeah, just kind of, there's also a lot of other stuff. There are brand kind of rated things we do differently because of our developer focus. We have transparent pricing on our website. Um, like you can self-serve. There is absolutely no reason to talk to a salesperson. In fact, we have two salespeople currently. They're both developers. Uh, and their explicit goal is can we get to 100 million in revenue without adding any other sales? Um, yep. So there's lots of bits and pieces like that too. Uh, but yeah, reframing it though, we go after engineers rather than product managers. Um, and there are a bunch of like downstream implications of that that are pretty awesome. But that's kind of the like really basic differentiation. And it's super interesting because I think, um, I mean, of course, like you did something that no one else is doing. So I didn't saw this before. I, like um, software engineers and, and tracking and data was always like, um, I always had the, often like the situation that even like developers were really not invited to the party. Uh, so it was like product teams bringing it up or marketing teams bringing it up and just handing it over to, let's say, development to implement everything. So where, 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 this, uh, where did you get the idea to basically target software engineers as your target audience? So um, my co-founder was an engineer, is, uh, he's a CTO now, but um, yeah. he was like, I He's like, Isn't it, I just, he's like, I just, I was asking him about frustrations that he experienced. And he's like, well, I often felt like we were building the wrong thing. And I disagreed mm. with the product manager. 
Um, but I didn't really have any way of like backing that up properly. And I would have just loved a bit more insight into how the stuff I was building was actually being used. Um, the other thing we noticed through all these pre-pivot ideas, we built a couple of other, like we built another dev tool, for example. Just one of mm-hmm. the themes that came up over and over again was when we looked at the performance of the companies that we interviewed, the ones that performed the best, developers really close to product usage, that they understood why they were building the things they were. The, th- and the thing we've noticed in the industry, well, we noticed in general in like startup world and looking at like our peer kind of companies from YC, is that everyone's interested in product-minded engineers when they're hiring kind of engineering mm. talent now. Like people do not want to hire the stereotypical engineer um, that lives in their parents' basement. Like they want to hire people who are happy to talk to users and can hop on a call with a customer to help them out or whatever it may be. And we thought, okay, we think that group, there's, we don't think it's every engineer that will care, but we think there's probably quite a few that would. Um, and so the first four weeks of our company's life, we just optimized for does anyone care? Uh, and just built this open source project and put it on the internet. And then everything just took off. Uh, we yeah. wound up with like tens of thousands of companies using us. <laughs> yeah, that's quite amazing. I think, but the interesting thing is like, I think you you just selected the most underserved um, group when it comes to data. And you're totally right. Uh, so one of the things that I always discovered was like, when when I, and one in one thing that I do when I do these uh, these implementation projects, I insist on development teams to be part of it. So I even prefer when the CTO reaches out to me and says, hey, we want to do this. Because I know from my experience, these are the projects that work in the end. So usually like projects that, I mean, I'm, I'm making it, I simplify a little bit, but like projects that are initiated by, by marketing teams and say, okay, we act especially don't want to really like have the development involved there. They just, just implement everything. I can definitely say that this has, let's say an 80% chance of fail because it doesn't really work because in the end, like there, there is so much, I mean, it's so much easier to, to, to talk to software engineers about specific kind of concepts. And in the end, they are the ones who, who implement things like events. And so, and they know best. And if they have commitment, I get a really good tracking setup. So I know this from, from a lot of different projects. Yeah, I think to your point around the Parsi example earlier, right? Where you're like, that's out. Um, I think it's so, I think the, that metaphor is pretty relevant. Like we, it's a bit like having a child run. Like if you don't, if you don't involve engineering and understanding, I mean, it's pretty core to, it should be very core to any product led business. Yeah. The, Everyone should understand how the product is being used. They should understand their users. It's all about building something people want. That's how you get and like get the strongest possible product market fit, which comes from building something that people want. Um, everything else becomes really easy. And the software engineer is the ones building it. So kind of regardless of how kind of regardless of how involved they are in any kind of analytics implementation, just really fundamentally, you want the engineering team to like care about this yeah. stuff first and foremost. And we're kind of like, well. Um, we don't want this party to have like no food, no alcohol, no music. Like you need those things too. And they will come from the engineering team, basically like the code. Uh, and if you just have like execs and product managers having a party together, um, you're going to end up with the long list of requirements. That's not going to go anywhere. So yeah, we kind of thought, okay, if we can get engineers like genuinely excited about the stuff and if like taking that so far that engineering are driving the implementation rather than PMs, um, we, th- those are our best customers. So now by default, if a PM like reaches out to us, 
we'll get engineering involved. That's the next step. And we'll drive the whole thing through engineering. Um, because we kind of just found that product managers are very incentivized to understand user behavior. They want to be able to justify like how stuff's doing, changes they should make. But engineers are the ones who are building the code. They're the ones who write the tracking calls. Um, and the usual challenge of a product manager is like, if you're not the one that's implemented the actual tracking code, you don't quite, it's abstracted. You are understanding what's going on and it's very prone to have errors. So if you get engineers actually just excited about understanding what's happening, don't want to implement the tracking codes, then it becomes much easier for PM to understand what's going on because it's just implemented correctly. So we basically found by far the best implementations we have, it's like 80% engineering, 20% product rather than the other way around. Um, like even if someone comes in to say they want a self-hosted deployment of postdoc to give an extreme example, and they want to pay for it and they're a big enterprise, um, we won't serve them if they can't run and set up the open source project first because it demonstrates to us that engineering is not involved. Um, so we really only serve customers that are willing to do that because uh, the others, we have a hundred meetings and the implementation is underwhelming is the outcome. <laughs> yeah. And I think the interesting thing is maybe, maybe you, you know, a little bit about this, uh, like from the experience when, when you talk to the different head of customers is like, I mean, I still see, I still, still see a lot of potential in product analytics. So I, I'm coming from product. So I always use data in that. And I always use this because I wanted to have more layers to make decisions about how features are used. Uh, what kind of role do they play in the, in the, in the, the customer journey? But um, I know that a lot of product teams are struggling with that. And so for, for them, like for marketing teams, data is quite natural, I would say, for most of them. For product teams, it's still not so much the case. I mean, I see a lot of product teams who don't really use any kind of data uh, or some, let's say, very high-level data that doesn't really go go deep. So did you make the experience like with these, let's say, coming from the engineering approach that things work differently when it comes to analyzing uh, things and like put data interactions? Yeah, I think the, I think it's a really good point. Like, yeah, marketing, absolutely. It, like I had, I'm, um, big shop online marketing company quite a while ago. And certainly marketing is <laughs> through and through. Everyone wants to know what's yeah. going on. So you can spend the most money on the most effective channel. The difference, I guess, is in marketing, you're fundamentally tracking. Like everyone is tracking the same products, Google ads, yes. Facebook ads, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and then everyone's products different. And, um, yeah, I kind of think it's a little bit like how as a product manager, a standard mistake to make is to dictate requirements to engineers rather than kind of talking about the problems they're supposed to be solving. Um, and I think tracking is no different. Like if you literally dictate the entire implementation to an engineering team, you're going to get it wrong uh, because they'll understand the nuance of how the product actually functions. And therefore, then they'll not want to implement it. Um, so if you treat them, if you treat kind of tracking implementation uh, in the same way you treat any other thing that you want to ship where you kind of want to collaborate with engineering, um, you'll go much further. Uh, but yeah, I think in marketing, it's because the fundamental product being tracked is the same across all companies. So there are much better off-the-shelf answers to this stuff. Um, like there are loads and loads of pieces of marketing software that work beautifully well, I'm sure. Yeah, that's true. And you have a lot less events. So usually you can run marketing with, let's say, four or five core events and you have your funnel covered and then everything's fine. Yep. And so, yeah, that's interesting. And so maybe coming from this engineering point of view. So what I often see is like, and this might, I think this is like, I, I will, I will take this away also from my projects. Maybe I can, I can change things as well. So like to, to get, I mean, 
as I said, so I love to have developers early on, but sometimes it's not possible, but maybe I have to insist much harder on this to really get them on board from the first day on. So one thing that, that would be interesting is like, I still see when even like we, we come up with a good tracking plan and we, we have a good idea how, how to cover it, like then implementation is still hard for most of the people. So it takes time. Uh, it doesn't get the priority. And I even see like in engineering teams really struggle because like it's not really like their daily job. I mean, their daily job is like to, to work on the application and then someone comes around and throws some kind of code on them and say, yeah, you have to implement this as well. So what kind of things are you trying to do to make the, let's say, the implementation part a little bit easier or scalable or, I don't know, handled in a different way? Sure. So there's a few things. Um, there's kind of features, cultural stuff and feature-based stuff, I guess. Um, like on the feature side, um, we built a couple of cool bits and pieces. So for example, mm -hmm. um, we had the concept of auto-capture for front-end yep. events. So um, uh, this is, we built this because this is something that I found painful. Um, when I ran an online marketing company, we used to ship like all these websites. Um, and then we'd always be like, after the, after the fact, we just wouldn't have the data that we wish we had had. We kind of wanted data kind of retrospectively, like, oh, I wish I tracked like this particular thing because now I can't answer this problem and I just need to wait for data to build up. It's annoying. Um, and so I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if we just use JavaScript to grab like all these events by default. Um, and then users could kind of tag the ones they care about. Um, we didn't even realize there's another company that does this, people are listening, called Heap. Uh, we didn't actually realize they yeah. existed when we built this feature. And then, we real, and then we're like, oh, man. And originally, back in the early days, there were two features we built. There were two things we thought that were important, being open source and this auto-capture. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, open source is much more important. So with auto-capture, we basically found uh, much. it's great for startups um, or like new projects that you just want immediately some data on. Um, but if you have a really rigorous approach and you have massive volumes and your product has like a big UX and you've got loads of people involved, um, we don't normally recommend it. Uh, like you, we recommend it as like a backup mechanism sort of thing, um, but we wouldn't primarily rely on it. And um, we are investigating doing the same thing for, so it's just a good way to get some idea of what's going on roughly. But if your needs kind of put parity first, or like not parity, but accuracy first, yeah, um, we usually wouldn't recommend it because there's weird stuff that can happen, like a form submission may fail and you can't pick that up through the front end. Um, we're thinking about one of the like areas of product exploration we're doing at the moment is understanding, could we do auto-capture for backend events too? Uh, so could we integrate directly with the underlying framework the product is built on, like Django or um, the database even? Like, should we capture mm -hmm. like the database rights that are taking place? Um, so we could automatically have like all of the user signups, all of your users' data and stuff without having to send it. Um, again, it would probably have similar challenges. Like it wouldn't be the solution with less parity, uh, it would just get you running very quickly. So there are little things like this that you can do. Um, I think the cultural point, I guess, is um, no one wants a huge, like, 3,000 line long to do list. So I guess um, it's, a, I think, I'm a little bit about motivation of teams. It's like, a, so for example, in engineering, uh, in terms of how we ship software, we have a small team approach. So I think like an old fashioned way and for fair reasons to run an organization is you have like an engineering team, a product team, uh, maybe like a design team, sales team, they're all separate silos. Um, I think the trend that kind of leads, I think to product being like, Hey, engineering, please implement this stuff that you don't, that you feel quite far removed from. It doesn't really feel like it's helping you with your day to day job very much. 
Um, one of the things we've structured is our small team basis. So we have like up to a team is no more than six people. We directly borrowed this from AWS and Twilio. Mm. And a team owns a distinct part of the product. So they'll own, um, like for us, they'll own session recording or product analytics or feature flags. That team is then really, that team is treated like a startup um, where they're kind of, they're multidisciplinary and they're interested in not just like shipping stuff, but we want our thing to be used. We want to make revenue from it. Um, we therefore care about product usage. There's just a more natural, there's just an incentive for that team to care because they need to know how to improve their product over time. So questioning like the culture of how teams work, I think first feels like you get, I think if you get that right, it's like running downhill to actually then get them to implement events and stuff. Like it just happens kind of organically for us. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there are certain scale of organizations where this, I just don't, like this isn't as easy. Um, you know, we're like a series B kind of company. Um, but that's going to be our experience. But I think culture really, really matters before the plan shows up. I think it does. So I know at least one or two other startups that follow the same strategy that you follow and I see the same effects. So when I was one, for example, I also work on data projects and it's a totally different experience because they have the same thing. So usually they have cross teams and they just have, let's say they just try to solve a specific kind of problem. And so then of course, like all the data things become natural because they're just an ingredient to solve uh, yeah, the thing they want to solve. And so um, it definitely changes the perspective. That's interesting. I think this is also like Uh, a takeaway from me that I can give out to to other teams that I'm working with. Um, what would be interesting for me is like, I mean, you 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 call yourself like a product OS, so don't even say that it's product analytics. So you really say it's it's a product operating system. So um, what what is the what is the idea behind that? So where do you want to go? Because I mean. When I look in what kind of things you do, it's like, it's really like super broad. And maybe, maybe we will talk about some kind of the different things that, uh, that you do, but like, maybe let, let's start with, with the general idea. So what is a product operating system for you? Sure. What we're aiming to do is to build as many of the tools that we can to help other people building products to be more successful, but we want them all in one place, similar to how The operating system of your computer enables you to install apps to achieve creating a Word document, going on the internet, whatever it may be. And so we're trying to improve both our infrastructure. So a product operating system we view is a place that contains all of the applications that you need to improve your product's chance of success. Today, concretely for us, we provide you with your kind of data pipelines and a data warehouse. So we get all your kind of data in. But the reason that exists is to power product analytics, we provide session recording, feature flagging, and experimentation um, as kind of apps that sit on top of the platform. Um, long run, we think there are tons of other apps that are helpful for users. Um, but what we wanted to do is to avoid teams having a huge amount of data engineering work, um, which is really typical with what we see with the modern data stack, where people have like, five, six vendors, tons of integration. Uh, we felt that the approach of consolidating everything into a single place and then kind of driving your applications from that single warehouse makes a lot of rational sense. But our other point of view is we think the challenge with how the market has executed so far 
is it's sort of started with data engineering rather than the actual applications and which are the use cases for users. Like what we want to happen is that people who aren't engineers can understand how product is being used. Hence, like, okay, how do we do our product analytics first and foremost? Oh, it turns out like we need a data warehouse, we need data pipelines and stuff. Um, so we've been really, really focused on providing the app, you know, uh, other teams, for example, will shove like product data into their sales force to try and enable a sales team better. But Salesforce is not built to work with kind of product event data in the first place. So it's just a happy sort of work around the experience, a lot of engineering set up, you have problems with data parity, you're sending data to lots of vendors, you've got lots of vendors that each charge a bunch of money. Um, and so really simply, we thought, we think we can build all of this um, into one place. Um, so anyway, I'm like going on a little bit too much. Um, but yeah, we're trying to build a really wide range of tools and something built by our community um, on top of kind of consolidated data set. This is at least like the, the point that really, um, I would say like make me favor post hoc a lot more uh, in different kind of projects. It's like these, this ability to uh, to extend it also. Like I, I really like the concept of apps that you have. So where you basically can, you can put an app, let's say, in front of postdoc, so to, for example, filter out specific kind of events or specific kind of data that you might don't want to get into postdoc for some kind of reasons, or you can enrich it before it goes in there, which is really quite interesting. And also like on the other part around that I can have some, let's say I can, I can pretty easily write an app that then, for example, sends some selected things into Salesforce or HubSpot. Let's say not everything, but maybe like a consolidation or an aggregation of these different kinds of things, which might be helpful for the sales team. And if you try to do this like with these, let's say, different kind of analytics platforms before, it was was highly complicated to do this. So you usually have to pull the data out in a database and then you do some fancy stuff and so on. So how do you, so, I mean, the, the interesting thing is like with Postdoc, what I see is like, I'm, I'm, I'm really strong believer in this approach. When, when you work in product, you usually work with hypothesis and experimentation. So it's like you come up with, with an idea for a feature and every feature is a hypothesis that it can potentially make the life better. And so how does, I mean, you have really like interesting ingredients that, that can help to do these things, uh, more easily just out of postdoc. So if I would, for example, develop a new feature, so what kind of things I can use from postdoc to, to, to verify my hypothesis, if this really works or not? Sure. Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, we view it as, a uh, well, the apps we've built so far, we, there's obviously the intention behind them. Um, part one, we help you measure performance to kind of build out your hypothesis in the, but like, I guess before you build a hypothesis, you're probably going to be just looking at data. Like what's my activation? Yeah. Like now you well, and that's how we do product analytics. Um, you then see there are diagnostic tools like, okay, activation is terrible. Um, we as a growth stage hypothetical company need to do some, like need to do something about it before we create a hypothesis. We should then go a little bit deeper. Like why is activation bad? Um, there are several things I can do here. I can talk to a bunch of users. I can export data and then like use MetaBase and like a really, really deep and do very bespoke stuff that like you can't answer from our tool out of the box without writing SQL. Or I want to watch session recording so I can just watch users like systematically fading to activate. Um, and I will kind of want this like mix of like qualitative and quantitative data. Now I've got a hypothesis. Um, 
I'm going to release a change to my products um, to test my hypothesis. So we'll give you feature flags to roll out the change and experimentation um, too. So we'll let you kind of release a change behind the feature flag. You can use our experimentation to then understand the impacts of that change across any of your product metrics. Um, and then you can go back to step one and start measuring again. And like, how did the experiment go? I want to diagnose why it was good or bad. Um, and I can keep kind of iteratively uh, shipping changes like this. So we wanted people to kind of get through that cycle. Where, where, where did the idea came from to so early introduce something like feature flag and bake it so deeply into your product? Because for me, like feature flag was always like a signal of a very mature Uh, product organization. So usually like in, in early stages, you usually never see it unless you have a very highly technical, uh, let's say, team that is building the product, then it's usually already early on there. But in other teams, it comes quite, quite uh, a lot later uh, until it happens. So what was the initial idea? Is the same like an engineering focus or did you have some kind of experience with that? A couple of things. Um... One is that we started wanting feature flags ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, there are a really good ways, like building experimentation on top of feature flags is actually something that's kind of how a lot of like uh, the kind of like Fang companies release changes to software. Um, yeah. to, they've got the two, they've got kind of product analytics of feature flagging in a single spot. Um, and so we're like, okay, we can see kind of validation that this happens. Um, but even from a pure engineering perspective, like we just wanted, like our company's mission is to increase the number of successful products in the world. And for, to make our product more successful, we want to make changes. And sometimes when we want to make changes, uh, we want to like merge a pull request for before the feature actually functions appropriately. You're kind of merging it into a feature flag or something can be a really effective way. Like merging it and hiding it behind a feature flag is an effective way of doing that. So you don't end up with a massive pull request to merge later on. Um, And sometimes we've just got beta. Like we also consider it like if you've got beta functionality that's not really tested properly, being able to switch on by a feature flag, we think makes sense for any size company. Like if you're trying to, you know, if you've got like five friendly users or whatever, just being able to ship a change to just those users that might be a horrible experience, you're waiting for feedback, um, makes a lot of sense. So I, yeah, I think that just making them easier to use, more accessible, and just nicely integrated just means that they'll get used by much earlier stage companies. Like we use them like completely constantly as a like not even 40 person uh, organization. Yeah. It's quite interesting. I always have these kind of features when I work in, so I worked some time uh, at Amazon. And so like feature flex is like, it's the core thing of everything. So like, uh, yep. so you basically run everything around this. And so for me, it was always like a, how to say, I always felt that something is missing in other kind of setups. So, uh, and it was always hard for me to, to convince, for example, development teams like, Hey, I want to have feature flex. And they're like, Oh, actually we don't do so much things. So yes, but I, I want to have the, I want to have the possibility to just scale up a little bit just to see how, how things work because like, and, but it's hard to build it yourself. So if, if you really want to do it. So for me, it's like when, when I was looking into Postdoc at some point, it was like feature flex was immediately the thing that stand out for me. Feature flex and screen recordings. So, um, these are like the, the two things that are usually missing in other kind of, uh, tools, but they are so powerful if you can, if you know how to use them. So yeah, feature flex do really well with, um, kind of the cohorts that you get from product mm -hmm. analytic because it means that you can target yeah. a really specific set of users based on their previous behavior or based on their 
kind of user profile data, um, which is how you can kind of pick out like first time users or people that are at risk of churning or people that are power users or use this particular feature a lot. Um, so you can build like a ton, like having the two integrate it. And this is also kind of why we think it's partly why it's rational to consolidate everything, like the integrated experience is much better um, than kind of the sum of its parts. Um, I think with probably with feature flagging, the difference between an early stage and a late stage organization is they probably go from like an opt-in to an opt-out. Yeah. Um, we've considered, for example, building an integration with GitHub directly. Like, hey, how can we force that every single pull request goes behind a feature flag in some way, shape or form? Um, but we just haven't needed to do that. So maybe that's the difference in mentality that you would have a kind of, I would assume like AWS or Pinterest or Facebook or something where you cannot ship a change. Um, to Like it's extremely hard to ship change to literally everyone. Like basically everything gets kind of canary released and so on. So I think kind of making that more mandatory and putting more permissions and controls in there is stuff that we don't have at the moment um, because we're not target, you know, we're not really targeting like an AWS. We're trying to give like the basic functionality to most kind of great stage or even startup companies. Um, what about the what about the screen recording part? And so, what what brought you to the point that you say, okay, I mean, there are out there some some let's say specific screen recording tools, but everyone who worked with that knows it's pretty hard to get both sides together. So to have screen recording and then have some product data. So what what was like the, the the initial ideas to 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 bring it in so early? I mean, this it's like something that usually like, I mean. It would be obvious, but other people don't do it. So it's uh, maybe not so obvious, but you might have a reason. Uh, we're being, uh, I mean, the way it actually happened was that users were just asking for it. Oh. Um, we have all of our work is in public, um, like all of our uh, GitHub, like we have like a thousand or so GitHub issues in public, which have all our feature requests listed in them. Uh, we just saw quite a few engineers were asking for this thing. Hackathon came up um, and one of our teams shipped it. Um, we found that we already had the right architecture and we're already capturing all the events and things. So it was kind of trivial to build it um, because the stack we needed and we already had kind of the data was quite simple. Um, what we've discovered is that, I mean, session recording is kind of, I think, universally useful to understand kind of what's actually going on. Um, to give you a really tangible example, like we found our, we shipped a change to our pricing page without we looked at it at Figma, thought it was awesome from a design perspective. And then our conversion rate to paying customers dropped by 50%. Um, uh, so like, great, I'm getting half as many people are paying us money. <laughs> um, what happened? Uh, this is like, we thought this was a great page. It looks beautiful. Um, and the reality is we were session recording. We built a pricing page that was about as engaging as Flappy Bird, where users were spending like 20 minutes mucking around with these different plans. And we realized that our pricing model is really complicated. Um, but that came from watching session recording. That was the only thing that told us that um, because we could just see users moving these sliders up and down, up and down. Um, so that kind of prevented us from losing out on a ton of revenue. Um, so often it could be like kind of dumb stuff that session recording will surface. Um, we hired a, our first ever Beaker product. Um, over the course of a week, he watched 500 session recordings through our activation flow and just listed out every single like he just basically prioritized all of the ways that people were getting stuck, confused or lost. And it's very painful watching session recordings usually um, because you can really see how your product's doing in the real world. Um, 
But we think having it integrated with product analytics is pretty cool because you can, the challenge I think of product analytics is sorting and getting rid of noise. Um, and if we already have like all our event behavior, so for example, we can do things like, here is your activation funnel. I just want to watch users that got stuck on a particular step of this funnel. Um, because those are the sessions that I know are relevant. So you may only have to watch like three or four and you'll get a good picture of diagnosing, like why your analytics are good or bad. Um, or likewise, like I've released an experiment. I just want to watch session recording for this particular experiment. And these things are all just like a couple of clicks um, away rather than some really complicated, like get the data into Excel, resort it, try and figure out a timestamp or something weird, like where you're looking. We're just, we just think it's much simpler um, to build. We can just build like nice stuff in UX. It's more integrated. We have a lot more of this to come. Um, to build still. Um, but conceptually, it's just easier to get to the best recordings if they just sit alongside like the analytics you're trying to understand. Because it's, you know, user isn't trying to do analytics, they're trying to understand what's happening. Um, so that having the session recordings, the analytics in the same place kind of fundamentally is going to be a better experience for them, we think. For me, um, like session recording is always like kind of, let's say, a first introduction, especially for product teams who are a little bit afraid of data. So because once they see a session recording, I mean, this is also like some kind of data, uh, but but for them, it's like, because like you basically transfer it into, into their world where they are basically looking. I mean, most of the people have worked on these kind of features for quite some time. And to see how people are using it, this is always like mind blowing for them. And And a friend of mine, when, when they started to use post-talk, he was, he, he, he said really like a nice thing. So because like he's from growth teams. And so he has this landing page um, problem that you just described. And he says, now I have a system where I can get the what next to the why. And so, and, uh, and he was super happy about this. So he was uh, like, it was kind of a revelation because he could see some patterns in the data and then he could basically see why these patterns are like this. And so just this one step away. And that was, I think, for him, having not worked with these kind of, let's say, session recordings and so on, it was really like kind of a really new discovery that was really powerful in the way. Yeah, I think we found that, um, yeah, it's, I guess it's actually like one of the nice things is that you can get started with it immediately. <laughs> um, that you can do this before you think about like how you do event tracking and so on. Like you can just grab this stuff immediately. Um, and as you say, like I think teams have perhaps over-indexed historically on quantitative data, um, which I think is a good way to hit local maxima. <laughs> like you basically just like blindly rebuild a landing page 50 times and then try and like get the buttons just the right shade of orange to convert best. Um, whereas the reality is users of like um, clicking a broken link and you haven't realized it's broken or something. Um, so yeah, we're kind of... Uh, yeah, uh, and also like, even in earlier stage companies explicitly uh, the quantitative the qualitative side is probably more important than the quantitative side um, so I think there's an awful lot of merit in like yeah start off by like you should be doing user interviews as a product manager and just watching session recording like, even those two alone um, it's very like you can go a long way off those two like you don't have to have like all of the numbers from day one yeah and just watch 500 as you did. Yeah, so, easy. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, just skip two evenings of Netflix and so on. <laughs> or maybe it's more like a week. Uh, so um, what would be interesting for me is like, where where are you going in the next phase? I mean, you are rolling out a lot of stuff and very, let's say, 
assumed short amount of time, at least like when I saw where you were, I don't know, one year ago, when I see you now. Uh, so what are, what are the plans, let's say, for the next six or 12 months? Sure. Uh, good question. So um, we're doing a little bit of refactoring at the moment. Uh, we're refactoring the company to a certain extent. We're trying to make sure that we have a small team operating each of the existing kind of product areas. So we want to have a team doing session recording, one doing product analytics, one doing feature flagging and experimentation, and one doing a warehouse and one doing kind of data pipeline. Um, we're actually, we have kind of externally what looks kind of dull, um, but internally is kind of awesome. What we're thinking at the moment, and this may change, is we want each of these teams to be able to ship into the product independently. We don't want like our session recording team to be able to break the product um, analytics part of what we're providing. We don't want the a team that uh, the data pipeline, like we don't want the um, team that works on feature flagging to be able to screw up data ingestion or something. Uh, so we're actually thinking about putting a few, um, basically doubling down on our APIs and letting teams ship more independently in order that probably kind of Q1, Q2 next year, we can start bashing out some entire new products um, into the platform. Um, they would just be into kind of adjacent use cases that we see. Um, it's still up for debate um, what we'll pose. One of the uh, original concepts we had at Postdoc was um, we don't offer, like we don't promise a roadmap to any customer. Um, and we really make a point of that. We list everything publicly. We maintain a public roadmap, but we change it all the time. Um, and the reason for that is it just means that we can like continuously reprioritize what makes the most sense um, at any moment. And it means that we're not incentivized like, oh God, we've got like ship this thing. We'll take a bunch of shortcuts and build like horrible code underneath to get there. Um, so yeah, we're kind of like the kind of tools, there are lots of like little frustrations we're getting. We're thinking about things like, can we provide SQL access to the data um, inside of the tool? Um, that's one area that we know is very popular. It would avoid the need for teams to export data uh, either to query the warehouse themselves and clearing clear, querying ClickHouse is kind of weird. So we have like a working prototype for this, which is pretty awesome. You can build like, um, again, integrated, it's nicer. You can build, you can start off in product analytics, build out a funnel and then flick a switch and then see the entire query for that funnel and you can just modify it. So it gives you kind of almost the starting points because we found that a lot of people in businesses are happy to edit SQL, but they don't want to write it from scratch because they don't really understand database schema properly. Um, like I'm definitely in that bucket. Um, and so that's not one area. Um, the other stuff we're thinking about is things like product tours um, and letting people switch on or off the ability to steer users. So trying to help them when they make a change to their product, could enforce that change more strongly um, with users. Uh, we've also um, are considering customer support needs um, that are driven by kind of user behavior. Our customer support team uses our product a ton. Um, and we're looking at things like Zendesk. To, to be frank, we're looking at things like Zendesk and Salesforce and feeling really underwhelmed at what's available in a product like company to drive kind of customer support and ultimately sales. Um, they're very large separate products. Um, we've also got like a user next to customer. So anyway, there's like a whole bunch of products that are right next door to us. And our goal is we want to ship as many as we can. Um, so we probably have like a quarter of um, tidying stuff up, um, and then we'll probably double down. I think early next year um, would be my current guess. Yeah, that's. I'm I'm always relieved when companies take, let's say, a quarter to refactor things because, like, I mean, this is like, I, as you said, so like, I mean, at some point in in every kind of things, even like in, in simple tracking setups, so sometimes take 
a, t a step back and to really look, okay, what works, what doesn't work, and maybe what, what has to be reshaped to, to enable it. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about the SQL part. Uh, so because I'm, I'm the same person, so I, I also like to um, get some pre-compiled things and then just pick it up and, and extend it to different kind of ways. Um, at some point, I would also love to see, to give more possibilities to extend the data with outside data within postdoc. So for example, like there's one area which I can't solve in postdoc yet, but it's, it's okay because it's, it's, it's a rare case, but it still sometimes happens. It's like, uh, marketing cost, uh, put this into yeah. the system attributed properly, which is like, I mean, the system is not built naturally for it. Uh, but, and there are ways around how you can do this, but like, I, it's, but you, you are definitely more open that, that it's possible to do. So, yeah, we have, um, there's a few things on that side. Like, I think very long term for us, um, mm -hmm. I think the way we'll win the very long run is if we can make these small teams that we have inside of Postdoc successful, um, that we can make external small teams successful too. Um, we're kind of picking up like a bigger, bigger community of users. Um, if you look at like the numbers of companies that are created as using kind of expander amplitude, um, for example, um, and then we look at our own growth rate and we're adding quite a few more each week and it's all coming. It's 197% of it is through word of mouth. Uh, it's all kind of organic. And we basically found that if we make the product deeper or wider, we speed up. And so it's letting us keep doubling down and getting more and more aggressive with how much stuff we build. Um, we think that kind of long-term though, if we can unlock more of the operating system itself, um, and unlock like the warehouse, the powers postdoc. Um, and the data infrastructure, um, the teams can build their own apps. The kind of apps that you build today, if we can make those much easier to build um, at the moment, like we're, they're, they're okay. Um, but if we can make it that it's trivial and they have more power and they can like access data in bulk rather than just accessing it in streaming, um, and that there are kind of pre-built integrations with stuff and like people could charge money for these things even to our end users and we could like even help collect payments and stuff. Um, we kind of think that that's how we'll ultimately build something that can out we really view ourselves as competitive with a data warehouse in the really long run. Um, because we think that the thing that will be a data warehouse is not going to be another data warehouse. It's going to be something different. Um, and we think the answer to something different is all of the apps you need and the warehouse and the pipelines in a single spot. Uh, and a lot of them will have probably been built by the community of users that we have. And my point, I think I didn't quite get to it properly, was running so many teams each week that the user numbers rocketing. Um, which means that if you want to build on top of Postdoc, um, your own product and you want to release it to the world, like we just have a largely user number of people that will be interested in what you already provide. So we can kind of help others get over that initial bit of product market fit where you have no one who wants to talk to you. Like we can provide teams that will want to talk to you if you're building like a data product of some kind. So hey, really, really long run. We're hoping that we can help the community build their own stuff um, and then just release it for other people um, and potentially make money that way. Um, that's further out for us though than we're at the moment. At the moment, we're just still trying to nail in like products and engineering use cases we're thinking about kind of cs and sales um but your yeah, marketing will come at some stage or another it's kind of obvious that we should have like yeah really good attribution data we should have google ad spend we should have facebook spend um blah 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 um and they're in line with what we'd want to build but they will they'll be a little way away and for us for now it might be that we just make it possible to build your own integrations easily first or to you know to improve other people's by making it all open source yeah that's i mean maybe we can take this as a closing note so 
I highly recommend everyone to also join uh, your Slack community because it's uh, it's a really nice place and uh, there you can meet some of the people that you just mentioned uh, who are sharing like their kind of questions or like their kind of ideas. And so um, thank you so much uh, for for spending the time and, and sharing so much about like, uh, yeah, Especially like how you started out, and I'm I'm still quite fascinated about these, about the the focus on the engineering because you can still feel it in the product. It, it's different kind of places. This is always like interesting for me. Like when when I hear founders talking about like the origin story, it's like it it always shines through. So and uh, and for me, a lot more things now make sense knowing that. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's the casual tone, right? And there, John is like the main. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not but also like the the decisions, how how you basically build features and so on, and like and that also like that you are very transparent. That is open source. I mean, these are all things that are usually like they are like kind of these development culture and so is or engineering culture and so. Yeah, that's something that we're pushing harder and harder as we get bigger. Uh, it's like something the default you kind of want, you feel like you would, the default pull feels like towards a more boring direction. So as we're getting bigger, it's like actually we need to push harder at being weird. Um, so yeah, it's becoming fun. Like uh, it's a really big deal to us, like not to hire a super loop execs or something that make the company boring. Um, so we'll find out. you could you could tr you could try to implement some kind of boring metrics to to measure that. So I could. That does itself sound boring. like a boring activity. Yeah, true. Uh, we'll Thank see. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Timo. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you found some stuff that was interesting, maybe even new, maybe trigger some further thoughts um, in your head so that maybe gives you a new perspective on a specific topic. At least this is what I'm always loving about podcasts. So it triggers my brain to do crazy new things. And um, I hope you found something interesting um, in this episode as well. So one important thing, if you have any kind of questions about the tools we are discussing in this podcast, any kind of questions about tracking setups in general, how you should approach a specific kind of problems, or even if you say, I don't have really... A, idea what kind of tracking setups make sense for my business for the current situation that it's in um, just reach out to me and so this is pretty easy so on the one hand you can all go over to linkedin and you can type in my name you can find me and you can just write me a message that's one way and the other way is like you can also go on our website deepskydata.com And there is um, a, a button um, that you can set up a call so you can click it. You can schedule 30 minutes with me and these 30 minutes are always free. So um, no obligations. It's just like it's, it's, it's not a sales call. So it's really like you can put in your question. You can put in your problems where you're basically stuck. So I can pre present you maybe one or two ideas how I would approach these kind of topics. And that's it. So I'm, I mostly want, really want to help here. Uh, to, to basically unblock you and give you some new ideas. So uh, if that's something for you, don't hesitate, just reach out. Um, this will be super fun to do. Um, and I see you in the next episode.